Leveraged foreign exchange trading is used by investors and companies to profit from the fluctuations in exchange rates between two different currencies. It's a geared investment with complexities and risks. I'm joined now by Tariq Dennison, Portfolio Manager at GFM Group, to explain how to trade foreign exchange and some of the factors to consider. Now, leveraged foreign exchange trading, that's a regulated activity here in Hong Kong. That's right. It's a way in which a number of people trade currencies. Can you explain a bit about how that works? Well, I'm sure uh, much of the audience is already familiar with some kind of foreign exchange trading, even at the most pedestrian level, meaning that, say, if they go on a holiday in Europe or in Australia, they're going to have to exchange their Hong Kong dollars to euros or Australian dollars and so forth. And they may notice from one year to the next that the euro may be more expensive or, or less expensive. But the actual percentage of the amount of money that, that's going to affect them may not seem very much, um, you know, even from a year-to-year basis. On the other hand, if somebody sees those moves, and they want to try and make a lot of money doing that. Say that they believe that the euro is going to strengthen by 10% over the next quarter or over the next year. Leverage allows them to take $1 and basically multiply it by 5 times, 10 times, even 20 times or more on the foreign exchange market so that that 10% move can be magnified to double their money or even triple their money. So we should point out that you're leveraging small moves Mm -hmm. in the foreign exchange rate, which could work in your favour, but it could also work against you. You're leveraging it when it's wrong as well. So there are some quite big risks to this. There are enormous risks to it. Uh, In fact, I would often say that in foreign exchange trading, uh, it often can ease people into a false sense of security that currencies may not seem to move very much day to day or minute to minute, which is why many leveraged foreign exchange providers can offer enormous multipliers of leverage, sometimes as high as 200 to 1. Now, you can imagine a 200 to 1 multiplier means that if the currency even moves half a percent against you, your entire investment gets wiped out. And in fact, you could lose far more than you originally invested in the first place. Exactly. Depending, of depending, of course, on what type of instrument you use. If you use traditional leveraged foreign exchange, you're on the hook for the whole amount that the currency has moved against you. Now, there are other instruments like options or uh, guaranteed stop losses where it can at least guarantee that you've limited the amount that you put at risk. So what are the other ways, some of the other ways of, of trading foreign currency? Well, um, so... Other than plain leveraged foreign exchange contracts where you're effectively borrowing the other $199 in order to leverage up your $1, uh, you can also use CFD contracts or futures contracts. This is essentially like I come up to you and say, hi, Peter, I would like to borrow, I would like to buy the euro from you one year from now. So not today, but one year from now. I want to go ahead and lock in the rate at one at 115. Uh, and I'm not going to pay you all of it right now. I'm just going to put down a little bit of money right now to, to show you that I'm serious that I'm going to come one year from now and buy the euro from you at 115. Uh, so it's effectively like a contract, except it's without me explicitly borrowing the difference. There's also an option contract. An option contract basically says, hey, Peter, I would like to borrow, buy the euro from you at 115 a year from now. Um, I want to buy the right to do that, but I don't necessarily have to do it if I don't want to. If the euro weakens, I can let that option expire worthless. You keep the amount of money that I've left with you. But if the euro goes up to 125, I'll come to you and say, uh, hey, you sell it to me at 115, just as promised. Okay. And what sort of factors affect the movements of currencies? 
Well, um, just like any other commodity, it's really supply and demand. Uh, but in the world that we live in, all the currencies that we really deal with are fiat currencies. They're ultimately liabilities by some central bank. And ultimately, what central banks do is one of the biggest drivers of whether that currency moves up or down. Now, currency traders like charts and trends. So once a currency started to move in a particular direction, it can establish a trend that often lasts years sometimes, doesn't it? So what sort of trends are we seeing at the moment? Well, it can. Uh, and certainly, I think one thing that financial, uh, that FX traders like is that there is a lot of day-by-day, tick-by-tick data to create large, big, beautiful, colorful charts. I often think, though, a lot of those can be can be quite distracting. And if you look at um, charts over any period of time, and then, let's say, try to create a randomly generated chart using a random number generator, I often find that I can present these charts side-by-side to many FX traders, and they won't be able to tell me which one is real and which one was generated by my random number generator. Um, the one thing that many people don't know about uh, random sequence is that they can often uh, they often seem to produce trends even though there really is no underlying trend. Um, but that said, there's been a lot of study on uh, doing trend-following strategies and other strategies in the foreign exchange market, which different people have done with different degrees of success. Now, a currency pair should bear some relationship to its underlying economy and also the purchasing power of that currency. So how can we value a currency? Well, in theory, you you would use a concept called purchasing power parity. I mean, in theory, if there are all of these different goods that I can buy, let's say here in Hong Kong, I look at uh, every day I may buy a lunch, I may buy my uh, my bus ticket and my metro ticket. Um, you know, I may need to pay one night of rent, obviously, for, uh, for the apartment that I stay at and so forth like that. And then I say, okay, let me go over to New York or London and see how many do- US dollars do I need for that? How many pounds do I need for that? Down in Sydney, how many Aussie dollars will I need? for that. There should be some overall, um, we often think there's some relationship between what the costs of goods should be in one currency versus another. So that, especially let's say in the case of iPhones, uh, I shouldn't be able to, you know, buy iPhones in one country and then automatically sell them for 20% profit in another country. So the economist has created a Big Mac index, Mm -hmm. quite a famous index. Can you explain briefly how that works and also what it's telling us about particularly the US dollar, which is obviously the currency we're most concerned about here in Hong Kong. Exactly. So just as we described purchasing power parity being that you shouldn't be able to take an iPhone and sell it for here and there for different prices, uh, the Big Mac index was created by The Economist many, many years ago, many, many years before the iPhone, as a way of standardizing a product that you could buy in many, many different cities around the world. You can buy a Big Mac in Beijing, you can buy it in Oslo, you can buy one in New York. And the nice thing about it is it's relatively consistent. It's not like trying to compare a bowl of noodles in Hong Kong and New York, which may actually be quite different noodles. This has the McDonald's brand on it. It all has two beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions, and a sesame seed bun. Um, And what it's comparing is it's comparing relative labor costs, relative real estate costs, and and other things in that basket of goods that we talked about. Now, usually what you say is in uh, if the same Big Mac costs more in Oslo than it does in Hong Kong, that gives us an idea that the Norwegian krona might be relatively expensive or relatively overvalued compared with the Hong Kong dollar. And what does it tell us right now about the U.S. dollar? Well, right now it tells us the U.S. dollar is still relatively expensive. Even though it's about uh, 10% off of its highs uh, from earlier this year, the euro is up about uh, 10% over the course of the year. The Singapore dollar, even one of my favorite metrics of the overall level of the dollar, uh, has been up against the dollar. But it still doesn't show that other currencies 
currencies are overvalued versus the dollar or that the uh, that the dollar is yet undervalued. It really only shows that the Swiss franc and some of the Scandinavian currencies seem relatively expensive compared to the U.S. dollar. But I don't go to McDonald's quite as often as a few others, but I'm sure if you go to a McDonald's in the U.S., I heard that Big Macs there are about five U.S. dollars, whereas here in Hong Kong, they're 19 Hong Kong dollars, which is less than half that price. That would make you think that the Hong Kong dollar is relatively undervalued versus the U.S. dollar, but I think that tells us that's one of the limitations of the Big Mac index. Thanks, Tariq. Thank you, Peter. That's Tariq Dennison from the GFM Group. Thank you for listening to Money Talk Extra this morning. On next week's programme, we'll discuss the financial aspects of caring for the elderly. And in our investment segment, I'll look at investing in small cap stocks. So please do join Jimmy Lamb and me for another episode of Money Talk Extra next Saturday morning at 8.30. In the meantime, this is Peter Lewis wishing you a great weekend.